Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I want to go over some cross-training basics. I've been at this a long time between using cross-training to prep for my own performances and competitions and coaching clients for the same. And something that nobody ever went over with me is just the basic need to knows if you're going to use this for your sport. There is a lot of information out there on the perfect split, how to do this, uh, how to get the most out of that exercise, what you should be looking for or what you're doing wrong in this exercise or that exercise or your approach to training in general, but very little of it is geared towards how performing artists actually use this stuff. So I want to go over the basics of what I wish I knew when I started lifting and flexibility training to prep for competition and improve what I see on stage. So if that is you and how you are using it, listen up. So first of all, I just want to go over some linguistics, the difference between cross training and conditioning. And I know that sometimes these words are used interchangeably to mean the same thing, essentially. Like, for example, I've seen people promoting weightlifting classes as a conditioning class for performing arts, which is fine. Like, it's all it all blends into the same idea is that we want to improve how we move by doing other stuff. But I just want to create some language boundaries in terms of what I mean when I'm talking about this stuff just so that you can have a better, a sharper scalpel when you're cutting up your training program. So when I say cross training, I mean using a different modality to get better at your main way of moving. So this can mean contortion. This can mean weightlifting. This can mean mobility. Anything that is not your actual performing art is cross-training. And then when I'm talking about conditioning, I'm talking about doing your main movement form in a repetitive manner, in movement patterns that you already are familiar with, to improve them. So this can mean climbing up your apparatus, doing multiple inverts in that way to strengthen your inverts, work on your endurance, that kind of thing. That would be an example of conditioning, lifting weights, strengthening your hip flexors, doing that kind of things to get better at your inverts would be an example of cross training. It does get kind of messy when it's like, okay, I train contortion to get bendier with tumbling because I want my uh, shapes in the air to look bendier and better, but I also perform contortion. Then it's like, okay, well, you're also, you're, conditioning and your cross training. So I just want to acknowledge that it does get gray and messy in some places, but we're not worried about like labeling stuff for labeling sake. It's more just that I want to create this solid language that we can use to communicate better with each other and have a positive effect on how we think about our different buckets of training. So that is that. And I wish I knew that at first because I just thought that all of these other modalities that I was training 
were now becoming a part of my performing art as a whole, which is fine, like if it's heading that way, but it can feel like a lot of pressure at first. When I first started training contortion, I loved it and I saw a difference in how I was moving on the pole and on fabric. I had a lot of apparatuses in my wheelhouse at this point in time. And I remember getting more flexible and being like, yes, this is awesome. But I also felt this background pressure to be like, I should also be training contortion, like to be doing contortion acts. And I did try that at some point in time and it was not very successful. I mean, it was fine. Like the acts went well, but looking back on it, I'm like, I should have just stuck with my main sport and had this like enhance it versus like put the pressure on myself to be a contortionist. Uh, because it is a really great tool to use to cross-train as weightlifting. Uh, which brings me to my next point, is that our approach with this stuff is not to be the best weightlifter, the best contortion practitioner, the best mobility practitioner. These are all just tools that we can use to get better at what we want to do primarily. So again, with the pressure that sometimes happens when we start practicing something that like, I have to be really good at this because I'm doing this now and I want to master it, which yes, technique is important. Yes, being invested is important. And when I work with clients who are lifting to improve their sport or prep for competition performance shows... Um, yes, I am hard on them about technique and I give them lots of feedback and I want you to be getting the most out of this stuff, but there's this thing that happens sometimes where we feel pressure, uh, like the more that you look into like the weightlifting culture, for example, we feel pressure to be like that person (laughs) in the weight room and we feel pressure to have this be a part of the myriad of things that we're good at which can be helpful for sure if that is helping you like if that mindset like going like diving deep into the culture and technique and like putting yourself in a high pressure environment to get really good at lifting is helping you you can ignore this but i do just want to offer that it is important to keep in mind why you started this in the first place. Your goal is not to be the most badass lifter in the weight room. Yes, with my clients, sometimes that does happen as kind of a side effect um, because because my clients are badass and strong and bendy, but it's not the goal. Um, It's not like your goal is to be like a competitive power lifter or something like that. If that's your life, fine. <laughs> like nothing wrong with that. If you fall in love with this stuff and it like creates a different path, then cool. But again, the reason I'm sharing this is for y'all out there that feel that pressure to integrate this into a part of your uh, movement repertoire that is like another mastered skill just for skill mastery's sake. We don't need that. So that's the approach stuff um, and how I encourage people to think about this stuff. Like it is a tool. It is a very helpful tool to get you to move how you want to move. Uh, So when do we know that we need to start doing this stuff? 
we talked about the cross training and the conditioning examples uh, just a few minutes ago, but there does come the question then, so when do I do what? And my go-to answer for when people ask this is when technique and conditioning stops your progress. So if you've been doing, I'm just going to go back to the invert condition, uh, the invert example. If you've been conditioning that and you've gotten all the technique feedback from your instructors and your friends, um, and you've watched your videos of yourself doing it and nothing is happening, then that's where our gap opens or that's where our window of opportunity opens. And there's, there becomes this very obvious gap in, in the invert example, it's likely strength, um, in our strength where we can't get that strength stimulus from the way that we move on apparatus because there does exist, uh, limitations in how we're able to put stress on the tissues from conditioning alone. So then comes in, okay, how do we target this stuff? What else can I do? It's probably not something on apparatus. It's probably something where you need to get in a specific position and place a specific load on specific tissues um, and teach that how to move under load in whatever position you need it to move in. Sounds like weightlifting, right? Uh, So when you stop making progress and you plateau with technique, with conditioning from that stuff alone, that's your cue to get into cross-training. I also encourage people to think about it in terms of seasons, which I've talked about, I think, in the first two episodes of the podcast, so it's been a heavy topic of discussion already, but it is a really helpful way to help you discern when do I need to start cross-training. Like, have I been in a season where I've been on apparatus a ton, uh, and am I stopping seeing progress from that? If so, then let's get some off-season work in there. Like, doesn't even have to be that intense if that scares you. It can be just a little bit, uh, you can just scale back a little bit on your skill work and get into some cross-training and add it in in that way. So uh, just to sum up with the when do I need cross-training aspect, think about what am I doing in the studio to help my goals? Like, is that possible? Can I do things in studio and reinforce movement patterns patterns I already own to see what I want to see? If yes, keep doing that. Like, no need to add in a bunch of stuff just because you think that you need to add in weightlifting or mobility work or contortion stuff. Uh, keep doing the technique work. Keep doing the conditioning if it is working for you. However, it will become very obvious when it is not working for you. You'll start to feel that uh, frustration. You'll start to feel that sense of heaviness. And you might even be able to feel that gap in strength. So uh, moving on to talking about exercise selection, which is a big point of contention in uh, our world and in the weightlifting world because there are so many different options and I know that our community loves to learn about how else can I move my body. Uh, Like what other exercises and drills exist out there that might help me and that is 
a really positive aspect of our community. And that I think is what keeps us uh, moving forward as individuals uh, and as a community, like from like continuing to learn from each other. So it is a positive. However, sometimes it can make exercise selection really stressful. So I want to go over some need to knows for choosing exercises for your cross training program. So I want you to consider how often am I going to be in the studio? We went over that with the seasonality thing and like how often am I, let me start that over. How much or how little am I willing to scale back to make these gains? If I'm just going to keep using the invert example, because we've already been talking about it. If you're at a point in your training where your invert is becoming paramount to you moving forward, I suggest then that you scale back on the rest of your efforts, implement cross training to improve your strength for your inverts, get that invert, and then move on. If it's something that's like, oh, this would be nice, this is a goal on my bucket list, let's use Bird of Paradise, for example, um, because every pole dancer wants to Bird of Paradise, at least the ones that I've talked to. You can ignore this if you're in the minority of people that do not have that on their bucket list. Uh, But so say that that's on your bucket list. Everything else is going well. Like you're still making progress in class. You're still nailing new skills. You're still moving how you want to move. Like everything is going well. You just have this bucket list goal in mind and you want to implement some things that can supercharge your attempts at this trick. Then don't scale back so much. Keep it going with the skills. Keep it going with my don't you don't really need to keep it going with the conditioning. Uh, but keep it going with the skills and the technique work and all of that stuff. And then just use your cross training to enhance your bird attempts. So whether it's like mobility training, contortion training, weightlifting, whatever it is that you and or your coach deems appropriate to enhance your attempts at this trick then that's what you'll do. And you'll do that like once, maybe twice a week, uh, like very low key. It's just there to enhance. So um, when you're selecting your exercises and you're looking at your training frequencies, when you are in a phase of focusing on just the cross training, you have way more options. Like you can do compound lifts, you can do uh, like accessory lifts that are more isolated you can add in all the stuff, um, contortion training, weightlifting, because yes, they do go very well together. All the stuff, like you can go ham with it, do all the things, um, make all the strength and flexibility gains. But if you are in a phase where you're focused more on your skill work, you have a little bit less options because one, we don't want to waste your time. Like we don't want you to be doing busy work when you could be either recovering or working on skills. And two, we don't want to overstimulate any one muscle group so that your attempts are, uh, like your muscles and your nervous system are fresh for your attempts. So then we have a little bit less options. I usually recommend working with mostly compound lifts when you're in that type of a phase, like when you're more focused on skills, just because they're a little bit less intense of input into your tissues because they're not so isolated. Uh, and they're, they're just like a little bit easier to hit a lot of different things just with one, uh, just with one exercise, 
without getting too crazy with it. So no, it's not like the thing where like we're trading balance and holding a barbell uh, with like a TheraBand around our head. I don't know. Um, Like there's a lot of these exercises that like claim to train balance, endurance, strength, flexibility, all in one, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we can get stimulus, the stimulation to a lot of different muscles in one fell swoop while training overall strength, which is why I recommend the compound lifts when you're more focused on skill work. Uh, it's just a little bit easier to recover from that stuff. And again, it's just not as time consuming. So that is why I recommend that. And so again, your decision on how much or how little accessory work you are doing and how many exercises and how many days you are cross-training in general is going to be based off of how often you are training skills. So the reason that I said once or twice a week uh, with the skill support thing is because that's a basic recommendation in terms of like what a supportive training modality frequency would look like once or twice a week. More than twice a week, two, three, four, five times a week, that's going to be, that training frequency is going to be more your main training modality. So going back to the totally focused on cross training idea, that's fair game to do that like three, four, five days a week if you're not focused on skills. Because then we've got like two days left over, one, hopefully you're going to be resting and the other day you can go like skill maintenance. But if you're working conversely and you're focused on skills, then you can go skills, you know, three, four, maybe five, if that's your jam, days per week, and then just the one cross-training day to support. So that's that. Uh, That's the frequency aspect and a little bit of how frequency impacts your exercise selection. So the other thing you want to consider that also is impacted by seasonality is how much time do I have to learn new movements? Because if you are on a time crunch and say you come to me and you have a competition or a show in like five or six months, um, then it's like, okay, we don't really want to, we, we don't want to spend a bunch of time learning new movements. Like we want to just load up the stuff that you already know how to do so that we can avoid that learning curve and just get you strong right away. Because I know that five or six months is like, wait, Britta, that's a really long time away from a show. Like you're being really uh, planny with this like I do, but I just want you to zoom out for a second and think about this. So if we take 12 weeks cross training for said actor show, then once that's over, like you would just be working on your act um, or like in, in skill land, like once a week during those three months. And then if you finish that, that's three months out from the show or the competition. So then we want to get into using those three months for like full on act creation, skill work, rehearsal time, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's really not that ridiculous of a recommendation, even though I know it feels that way. Uh, but when you think about it, you don't want to waste your time with those three months cross training 
and then get done with it and be like, okay, like I learned some new movements, but I feel like I could have used that time better if I'd just done some lifts that I was more familiar with so that I could load up. Obviously, every person is going to be different in terms of what the learning curve looks like. Just depends on how you react to lifting, which is why I always recommend that people lift Uh, like do one of my DIY programs uh, that are just like download and go like very basic stuff uh, before they come to me for custom programming in the intensive because I don't want you to find out that it actually takes a lot of brain power for you to um, like start to get comfortable with this stuff during the intensive and or find out that oh my gosh I actually don't like this very much uh, when you're fully invested in a three-month program with me. So um, I'm there to help you learn new movements and things when we have time, but it is good to know what your reaction to lifting is like before going balls to the wall with that stuff. So that's something to consider uh, if you have never lifted before and you're listening to this. uh, (laughs) I did not intend for this to be an ad for this, but uh, I do have download and go style programs on my website that are a lot of very basic exercises that I would recommend people start with. Uh, Like if somebody was like, I am a performing artist and I want to know like what exercises you would recommend I start learning to get good at weightlifting. That's what those programs are. So those are available for you on my site. I'll leave the link for that in the show notes. But um, yeah, I just want you to consider that when you're creating a program or when you're starting to work with a coach, like know what you're good at so that you can load that stuff up and start making progress sooner. Yes, sometimes learning new exercises and new ways to input stress and stimulus into the tissues is important and like you can't get around it because you can't like expand your practice and your capabilities without that. Like there is a point, but I also think that sometimes we feel like we have to be doing this, that, or the other thing because um, we saw somebody else do it or we think that this quote-unquote should be in a program. So last thing that I want you to consider with the exercise selection is, am I trying to gain more range? Because I've mentioned this in previous episodes as well, that is going to be your main sticking point when you're working on either just movement quality overall or skill acquisition if you don't have the range that you need already to do the things that you want to do, then how are you going to get stronger in those ranges? Like we need to expand that first and then tell those ranges what type of inputs we want to get out of it. So depending on if you're there already or not, you do have to make that decision when you're thinking about exercise selection because then we get like, watered down syndrome when we start to grab exercises from like random buckets of adaptations and we're like ooh, like I'm gonna do this because uh this is gonna get me more flexible but this is also good because I need to practice like acceleration in this position and then you just kind of get a lot of mixed signals into your body which is not a signal so when we're thinking about what exactly we need to do If opening up range is of superior importance, then most of your time is going to be focused on spending time in those ranges and sending messages 
to the tissues that they are safe in those ranges. So that's when we start to spend a lot of time on like the stretching part of the spectrum. Yes, we're still weightlifting because that is a part of, uh, that's a part of sending those messages of safety to lengthen tissues, but we're doing that just to enhance and support our flexibility work. So that's why we see results with weightlifting for flexibility is because we're getting those contractile forces ha happening. My Minnesotan accent really came out on that word. We're getting those contractile forces happening while the tissues are lengthening. Uh, and that sends messages of safety to the tissues. And they're like, oh, I see. Let's talk about tricep, for example. We're doing tricep extensions and we're focusing on that lowering and lengthening aspect of the tricep extension. Tricep tissues say, oh, wow, this has been really great. I feel really safe lengthening to this like pretty like moderate to lengthened range. And I can sense that I can contract here because I'm loaded. So this feels really safe. The next time I go to lengthen my hamstring in just a stretch, which is a very low load lift, by the way, we're going to feel even safer and that those tissues are more likely to open up more range in that way. So, but the exercise selection, the three things we want to consider is how often am I going to be in the studio? How much time do I have to learn new movements? And am I trying to gain more range? And that is going to be what is going to guide your exercise selection. So I hope this was helpful in gaining some insight to what your cross-training basics might look like in terms of how you're using this stuff to support your performing art. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast, which is still nameless, by the way, and I'm still taking suggestions for names, and I may or may not have a fun secret prize for whoever comes up with a name that uh, vibes with the podcast the best. So if you made it this far in the podcast and you are uh, listening to my plea for help with the name, I urge you to uh, help me out because I do want to hear what y'all think. And I also need a name. So it's selfish and not at the same time. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.